to anyone that is still on this podcast stream, uh, which has been very quiet for a while. Uh, It's Will here. I'm sure you have noticed, unless you have been joining us on our Twitter spaces, we have been very quiet. We've been away. We've been um, just dealing with life, to be honest. As you can imagine, we love doing JB, but life does get in the way and it's been a really busy time for all of us, really. Um, so things have been very quiet, even the Twitter spaces, which we did trials, a kind of live online weekly event. We have stepped away from for a little while and we're going to just take some time to figure things out and see where we go from here. Um, but we will be back and we will be coming back bigger and better. So please, please do keep the feed open. Please do keep checking uh, socials for updates. Chris and Simon will still be keeping the socials going. Uh, But before we did go away officially for a while, we wanted to leave you with something. So this week, we not only have a magnificent poem from our very own Mr. Chairman Joe Harmon, uh, what we also have is an interview with myself and a good friend, colleague and inspiration of mine, Harry. Um, Harry runs his own podcast called Queer Reflections and through speaking to him, we got onto the topic of the Qatar World Cup and whilst we were all at JB super excited about the World Cup, um, as I'm sure many of you are, it does not come without its many, many ethical issues. And so I wanted to speak to Harry because his voice is a a really well-informed and important one within the LGBTQIA plus community and one that I really respect. So I wanted to sit down to speak to someone that was outside of the football world and get their thoughts on it and just explore this very contentious topic. I hope you enjoy it. And as I say, we will be back. Please stay tuned. Quizzes will still be running. Hope to see you all soon. Lots of love. Please enjoy. Okay, and I am now joined by Harry, a uh, good friend, fellow podcaster. Harry and I both sort of started podcasting around the same time. Um, so we're both kind of looking at each other like, hey, look at us with podcasts right now. Um, and we thought it'd be a, a nice thing, as as discussed in our intros, um, it'd be a really nice thing to to kind of fuse our worlds, I suppose, and our podcast topics, um, given the opportunity that the attention around the uh, Qatar World Cup has presented itself. So, Harry, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. I like that you mentioned that. It's like the crossover episode. Um, I'm it is, now yeah. trying to think of my favourite crossover episode in TV, and I can't think of any, but they were big a, things as a kid. Yeah, definitely. That's a really good question. Um, I've got a friend that just constantly, um, every time he watches a film, he says, great cameo from this guy. And he sends a picture of Alf, kind of in reference so if it's like a western it'd be like alf in a cowboy hat or something excellent shout shout out to dan um okay so as a non-football fan Mm. i wanted to just start off really by the world cup in general and mainstream Mm -hmm. football tell it tell us your thoughts what what do you feel about football so i get it (laughs) um that that's probably where i start is that i I understand the the draw to it. I took part of part in it when I was a kid. I remember 
kind of excitedly watching or attempting to be excited to watch if I'm being truthful. Um, so I have two older brothers, uh, one is straight and one is gay. And um, I myself uh, am gay. I was just like, why am I getting caught on that uh, phrasing there? But I feel like football never clicked with me uh, as kind of a sport. Uh, so my older brother, the straight one, definitely played it. Then my parents attempted to make my middle brother uh, play it and it didn't really work. So they kind of gave up as soon as it kind of hit me. Um, so in terms of sport, I never really kind of approached uh, sport apart from attempts at school clubs. And then uh, I, my anxiety would always get in the way. So I'd enjoy it one week and then I would totally be totally anxious to, to go and do a club. I think mainly because I saw home as a safe space. So I kind of I didn't want to take time away from that. And I didn't like the idea of like turning up an hour later. Uh, I kind of wanted to just leave school as soon as possible. So that's kind of my relationship with sports in kind of those aspects. I I was definitely a surfer as a teenager and I played basketball and up until about 16 until I discovered kind of uh, boyfriends, um, which kind of led me away from that. But I remember the World Cup being a big thing as a kid. I can't remember where it was played or anything like that. I think I remember the one where Shakira sang the song. Um, so that's probably <laughs> kind of my like um, my knowledge of the World Cup. But yeah, I think the, from my kind of approach to uh, understanding queer, queer identity and uh, kind of my studies into kind of masculinity, gender performance and things like that throughout my university kind of career and further studies, I more and more saw it as kind of a space where I felt uncomfortable because I feel like it does have a draw of kind of toxic masculinity traits and kind of tribal yeah. behavior and kind of those elements that I really feel uncomfortable around and feel that that is also linked to kind of uh, national identity, uh, especially in the, the UK and England specifically. Kind of the English flag to me means something quite different than just kind of uh, the football flag, even though I understand it. I think it because of kind of Brexit, because of kind of uh, xenophobia and things like that, I... I the meaning of it changed quite vividly. Do you think a lot of that is tied to Brexit? Because I had this discussion with a class last year. We were all kind of in agreement. Not necessarily, like, no one's offended by them, but all of us, mm -hmm. our immediate association was Brexit and then EDL mm -hmm. and sort of toxic masculinity and far-right movements mm -hmm. and things like that. And that's a that's a really, to tie in the football to that, yeah, that's a very... um yeah, interesting thing, because you do see all the St. George's flags all of a sudden go up. And yeah, and I, I definitely remember having it painted on my face as a kid and all that, but I think it, it's the the current association with it is that it is uh, almost nationalism, and I think that I am all for loving our country in like a patriotic way, but nationalism, I think, is quite a different thing. Um, do you know what I mean? Uh, and I think that that is there's like a big difference between being patriotic and being kind of nationalist. And I think that a lot of us still, I say a lot of us, um, not circles I'm in, but I, and again, I am someone who has a limited experience. I think that's worth saying, but the, 
the impression I get from the kind of use of the flag is that that in turn goes with certain ideologies about kind of uh, race, kind of immigration in this country um, and links to other things. So, yeah, I, and I, I don't like that fact, but, um, but I also think it's the same with most kind of national flags now, uh, specifically in the West. Like when I see American flags, I think uh, there's an association with Trump and kind of uh, make America great again. And, that is like the defining factor. And I think it's, it, it has something to do with how I see identity. And a lot of people hold kind of British identity up as the forefront of kind of their identity. But I would say that uh, kind of, uh, it sounds really cliche and I'm aware how cliche it says, um, but I wouldn't want my national identity to kind of create a border. So I think that kind of, I consider myself to be um gay, uh, queer, um, but also I wouldn't want my national identity to forget that actually we're all humans across like multiple kind of countries. And I don't know, maybe it's associations with kind of deeper uh, uh, colonialism and things like that, where I feel a slight, slight kind of tinge um, of anxiety around kind of what that actually means. Now, when we are looking back at history, we're through a different lens, through kind of a, a less ethnocentric lens. Um, and I think that that's definitely being challenged more and more. And I'm really enjoying that challenge. Um, but back to the World Cup, um, <laughs> I just feel like that is my worry, is that it sparks these sort of things. Now, I, I think... Um, when I met you, Will, and the approach that you have to football really did change my kind of perceptions of it because you're someone who is um, definitely kind of critical, kind of uh, anti-racist, anti-homophobic um, and anti-transphobic and so forth. And I think that your voice within the world of football is a really good force for change and, I, and you're not alone in that voice. But I think what we see is the opposition to your voice more in the media or at least I'm used to seeing that see that's really interesting because I suppose because I'm so um more uh, immersed in the world of football mm -hmm. and I have and football is it is essentially the biggest thing in the world you know it mm -hmm. is bit because of its um cross-cultural mm -hmm. uh, reaches you know it's bigger than any religion really and any anything else um and because of that, there is so much coverage and mm -hmm. because of what I'm able to select with, but even like, I suppose, mainstream coverage, I think has been really interesting with this World Cup mm. and this, you know, the, the BBC today, I think didn't show a lot of the open ceremony or sorry, yesterday because they, they sh debated a lot of the issues around this this world cup in general and um, Qatar as a nation. And I think that's been fascinating because this world cup was awarded to Qatar along with 2018 being awarded to Russia. Russia ended with uh, the FIFA president, Giovanni Infantino being presented a medal from Vladimir Putin. Mm -hmm. That's now a very bad look. And I think everyone has kind of realized that they were not critical enough of Russia and yeah. the the Russian invasion of Crimea was very much happening um, or had happened before that World Cup and Russia weren't heavily as criticised. So I do feel like it's it's a really good thing that 
a lot of journalism and I think a lot of just people in general who have kind of learned their lesson from that. There is no doubt that both of those World Cups, certainly this Qatar World Cup, Qatar's bid was about sports washing. And it's the same as the Saudis buying Newcastle, PSG, Manchester City's ownership, etc. It was all about building that positive representation of those nations, tying positive messages. But I've got to be honest, I think it's completely backfired for them. And I think the mm-hmm. coverage that we see is it's been really challenging. Like BBC World Service had so Emily Maitlis interviewed Adam Crafton, who we've had on the pod before as a, a gay football journalist for The Athletic. And he mm-hmm. kind of talked about the fact, you know, so clued up on all of these issues and was going out to cover the World Cup and that was his choice. But he spoke about what's going to get covered when you're out there is the stories because journalists are journalists. And if the mm-hmm. biggest story are the way uh, that England and six other nations are forced not to wear the rainbow armband or whether fans of the LGBTQ plus community are being treated unfairly or Mm. the kafala system and migrant workers and the story that broke just before about um, security guards at stadiums being paid 35p an hour. I think all of that's going to get covered um, because the spotlight is very much on Qatar more than anywhere else in the world right now because of the World Cup. And so I think it's going to massively backfire. Uh, I heard Stadio, um, a really great football podcast, you kind of share the very liberal um, views that I think we would. And Musa Kwonga and Ryan Hunt talked about there's going to be a kind of uh, pre and post FIFA and football from 2022 and possibly even like coverage and mainstream coverage and maybe even beyond in terms of societal effects and I from what I've seen it gives me hope but I suppose I am what I'm really interested in is that I'm from I'm consuming a lot so how do you feel like from someone that's much more outside of it again I I, this is why I like having these conversations with you because I definitely am not someone who's consuming that and not seeing kind of the criticalness that's going on from within um, I'm only seeing it from kind of a lens on the outside within kind of the queer, queer um, representation media that I consume and kind of I'm very aware that because of kind of how social media works and things like that I operate in an echo chamber of these ideas and I, I understand that the things I consume is I mean there's an algorithm in place that, that kind of makes me see the things I see I just worry that the kind of approach that you're having to it is overly positive because I feel like we're in a really horrible situation at the moment, um, specifically kind of uh, within the queer community, but I would say more so kind of within the trans community. And I worry that although there's a lot of criticism, that there is equally um, a lot of people who don't have any kind of uh, kind of critical thought about these sort of issues um, in the depth that you kind of go into. And what we're seeing is a country that is kind of uh, against queer people. Um, and I think that that is harmful in itself. I, th- I wouldn't feel right not to mention kind of the five people murdered in Colorado, Colorado Springs uh, yesterday. Um, that is as a as a massive result of kind of the 
anti-LGBTQIA agenda in, in America. And that same thing is happening here in the UK. And I just worry that that discourse about whether we are okay to exist whether we have rights and uh do you know what I mean uh is yes a good one but also it is creating a divide and the fact that people's existence is being debated like it's not up for debate um and that's kind of one of the, the kind of frustrating things i see is that m- and I guess my my concern, and I, I definitely know that I'm pessimistic. That's just me. Um, I get it from my mum. But we think about kind of. I just worry about those effects because, like, the hate crime in this country is up, uh, and and do you know I mean there's there's horrible voices out there that are getting so many kind of uh, likes, retweets that are kind of fueling and um, kind of anti-trans. Uh, agendas and then we're seeing stuff like the Colorado Springs where five people were just like shot down um in a, in a safe space and it's where we as queer people are being dictated that we're not allowed in certain spaces um but then even in spaces that are meant to be kind of behind closed doors and safe spaces away from uh kind of children and all these other things that are going on right now we're still kind of being slayed and I know that I'm definitely someone who has privilege. I'm white, I'm cisgender, I'm gay. So I can kind of negate that, but it makes me feel kind of anxious for those who are in less privileged places, specifically within the trans community. But I also like to, like, I don't like to think, but I, I'm thinking about kind of queer people in Qatar, not necessarily tourists, because I think that tourists will have a certain amount of privilege, um, because of kind of their nationality and because of kind of the, the eye on Qatar right now. But I think of kind of, um, people who, uh, from Qatar, um, who are being treated in this way and, I, yeah, I worry about that. So like, I definitely agree that it's really nice that there is a kind of a, a big critical eye. And again, I've not consumed that coverage because I've decided not to, because do you know I mean? for my own mental health sake, there's a lot of kind of negativity out there. And also I don't like football. Um, but, <laughs> but it, yeah, it does kind of come with a layer of, of worry. And I have to say that when people have started to talk about football at work, it has made me feel uncomfortable. Yeah, so I I wanted to get into this, sorry. So conversations around football are going to be rife. That's going to be happening for the next month or however Mm. long, you know. Certainly whilst England are in the competition, but probably um, knowing the place that you work, fans are pretty big fans of football, so it'll be throughout the whole tournament. So tell tell me what that's like for you. Tell me about how that does make you feel. Again, I think I have immense privilege because of my identity. Do you know what I mean? Like, gay men have got it pretty easy uh, in comparison. Like, we're still, we still benefit from patriarchal systems. Um, well, depending on kind of our gender performance, I guess, in terms of kind of whether we are mass presenting and so forth. But I've... <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I am outspoken um, because I feel like my role is one where I've got a lot of opportunity to raise voices of others and definitely something that I'm trying to do as a regional ambassador for It Gets Better UK is kind of raise the kind of profile of kind of the 
other letters in the in the anagram LGBTQIA, um, rather than kind of just the the gay cis white male uh, representation, and especially within kind of uh, the southwest regions, because there's not really much kind of representation or voices out there for people to look up to. So it gets better UK is a charity that is a storytelling charity. So we don't actually uh, do um, provide. Uh, what is the word I'm trying to look for? Provide support for kind of people. We, we're, we're good at kind of directing people to appropriate spaces, but we're more about kind of raising the, the agenda of kind of queer people. We're a storytelling charity in that sense. So we, uh, we know that actually from seeing people in the media, we, um, it's, it's easier to see yourself getting through stuff if you can see someone who's gone through it. And that's kind of where this, this statement, it gets better comes from. And I think yeah, it's that, a real, a real power to, to know that you're not alone, isn't there? Yeah. So I think that that's really good. So I'm I, basically some of it is that I'm really aware that actually I have immense privilege and do you know I mean, I'm in a role where I feel supported and the kind of team that I work in are very, affirmative in terms of being allies but there is a level of when there is discussions about football etc that makes me second guess and I think that that comes from being a minority so there's something called minor uh god I've got I'm being awful tonight uh, the anxiety that comes from being a mi- minority. So you're always basically second guessing whether you're actually safe to exist in that space. And when there, there's kind of these, reto- uh, kind of the discourse about football, it has made me kind of second take, um, are these people really kind of supportive of, of me? And I'm sure they are because I know them and I know, John, you know, I work with them every day. Yeah. And I know that they are critical. And because that's the job we're in, we're teachers, we're critical of everything. Um, that's like one of the key things is to ask questions and, and so forth. But the, I worry that people are necessarily going to forget what's going on or there's kind of, um, I don't know. I'm seeing people that online are like, it's a shame it's in that country, but come on England. And then that's like the end of the conversation. And, that makes me worried because it's not okay. And I think that kind of leads to kind of, kind of the whole David Beckham thing and what Joe Lysett's doing is he's starting a conversation and being critical about that. And I'm really, as you say, glad that there's that critical conversation. And interestingly, the college itself has kind of put out a, uh, so we get things to deliver in tutorial. And one of them was about kind of uh, human rights in Qatar but it just made me feel a bit, a little bit kind of disheartened that it was, wasn't a criticism. It was more of a, have a conversation about this, but yeah, I just, it's whenever it comes up at work, I feel very alone in it because people are like, Oh, it's so divisive or they kind of have that kind of response. And there's someone who I work with, that you know, uh, quite well, well, uh, called Martha and Martha and I kind of, uh, from the same cloth and, and same that we're quite a, a close age range and same interest and so forth. Um, and then I just, I was really glad for Martha to be there in that moment because she turned to me and went, but it's not really divisive, is it? It, do you know what I mean? It's actually quite simple. Um, 
and drumming. I really needed that at the moment because it felt like everyone was on one side and I was on the other. And again, do you know I mean, there are going to be kind of people from queer communities that still consume football and that's fantastic. Um, but I don't know how I feel about it. <laughs> that That's kind of the, the breakdown of it. It's a real, um, you know, it's been, I think, since the kind of birth of cancel culture. And mm. um, I think since, you know, amazing things like the Me Too movement that all of a sudden your favorite film or mm. uh, an actor, musician, whatever that you really like can all of a sudden be wrapped up in some horrific story. And you can discover something about that person that completely changes the way you view them. And yet what do you do with your opinion of their art? And that I think when we first started having this discussion, um, just over text before recording, mm. um, we both kind of, you know, we consume a lot of film and a lot of music mm. and uh, things from the art world. And I don't know, like what, where's, what's your stance on that? How do you view separating the art from the artist? And is that, would you say that's a similar thing? Um, so you're on about kind of ethical consumption and kind of like this within the queer community we're thinking about things like chick-fil-a in america and yeah. how they support and yeah that's always been kind of a thing and i think and this has also been a discussion of work that when you think about the world cup it should have been higher up people making the decisions and therefore the discussion at work was saying that it's unfair that it's been left down to kind of individual viewer response on how they're going to kind of take this action. And I don't know, I think it's about kind of being critical about it. And like, I'm critical about everything. I must be such a boring person to talk to, but like, um, no, it's like, I, and I think like I, know, there is yeah. these critical voices. Sorry, just, just kind of jumping. No, there. no, like, it's fine. Um, so there are, there's a really fantastic documentary at the minute on brilliantly timed in their release on Netflix, um, called FIFA uncovered. And mm. it's about the corruption of FIFA. There's a fantastic book, uh, by Ken Bensinger called, um, red card, which is, uh, an amazing book for anyone that is interested in that. I really recommend it. I think I've probably spoken about it on the podcast before, but it's like a, it's like a espionage thriller. Like it's so crazy how, um, how the FBI took FIFA down, but what a reminder of who it was that gave Qatar this world cup and who is making everyone have to have these discussions and make these ethical decisions right now. But yeah, in terms of kind of art and artists, I don't know. I grew up think, uh, thinking American Beauty was my favourite film. And now I look at that and think that is so problematic yeah. in terms of kind of content, but also in terms of kind of obviously Kevin Spacey. But I don't know. I think the 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 younger students I teach are very kind of uh, black and white about it. So as soon as they kind of... Uh, hear that someone John Mean has done so and so they're very kind of like well I, I don't want to consume that and I think that's really great in John Mean that they can be thinking that kind of moral approach but yeah you're right when we talk about kind of music and stuff and it's definitely separate uh, of artists I just wouldn't want to be funding that yeah stuff so like if I say for instance um when CDs were kind of the main front, like 
I wouldn't want to now go and buy something knowing that someone was an abuser or yeah things like that so I think the money gone has definitely uh, gone and I just think about kind of how am I consuming that in future likewise with all the stuff that kind of um, she who must be not not be named uh, and kind of her agenda right now I feel really critical about anything linked to the world of Harry Potter um and which is super sad because that's a, that's such a kind of an, an inspiring thing. But I also wouldn't want to profit, kind of lead her to profit, even though she's, do you know what I mean, what's she going to care about me um, not doing? So, like, I understand that it's frustrating as well when you're thinking about kind of individual responsibility. But where's the moral lie? Like, that could just be an excuse for anything. Like, Yeah, and I think it, that's a really good point that you make, actually, is that, yeah, okay it doesn't probably affect these people financially. But I think for yourself to live with the decisions that you're making, mm. that's really important and quite cleansing and reaffirming in a way. Yeah, it's just, it's one of the reasons that like I am, a, I would say 90% vegan. Um, but like, it's one <laughs> of the reasons that like, I think about the stuff I'm consuming and kind of how that's impacting, like it, the, I mean, the health benefits of being kind of veggie uh, vegan is amazing. But in terms of kind of, knowing that I have some sort of effect on the world is great. Um, and the same with kind of buying local or buying from queer artists and stuff like that. That is something that I'm really glad but to be able to do. But I guess that also comes down to kind of class and disposable income as well. Um, when we think about kind of when we buy clothing and so forth, like you can buy an expensive, there's like a, a, I don't know what the word is, but there's a saying about kind of boots. And basically, if you buy a good pair of boots, they last you forever. But if you buy like a cheap pair, you'll be buying them every year. And it's all about to, to do with the kind of like socioeconomic class and how you're consistently stuck in kind of the loop of uh, thing. And I think that is also like I'm very privileged to be able to make choices when I'm consuming stuff because I have access to a certain amount of disposable money. And some people can only buy, I mean, the value uh, kind of layer or and therefore are kind of impacting people negatively maybe and, and things like that. So like, I'm a, again, that's a very, it's a very privileged position to be in to choose. And that is something that I think is interesting when we're thinking about the World Cup is that people who are queer in, in Qatar cannot choose and that makes me really critical about any sort of kind of country where I can't hold uh, my partner's hand or uh, those things it's a very minor thing but it's world shifting in terms of kind of having to change who you are and who was it who was said that we had to behave ourselves if we went to Qatar or who was uh, the politician you know what I don't know let's do a quick <laughs> um, yeah that is just that I said something about us like having to behave ourselves or and I just that sort of kind of message upsets me and uh, you know Infantino um, certainly having his rant the other day about yeah what was uh, that I just saw the so, memes yeah, basically Europeans should look at themselves and sort of talked about 300 years of uh, colonization and uh, Western oppression and um, sort of tried to shift people's perspectives. And I think there's definitely an element of uh, 
Qatari spin has been on uh, there's a lot of Western racism that has contributed to the negative coverage. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, definitely too. Which, you know, I, I, there probably is some. Um, and I'm, I think it's also really important to say that I'm sure that there are people working within the Qatari Football Association um, and part of this World Cup that are really good people and are trying to do really yeah. good things for change within their own country. Um, but, and obviously the but is, this is a country where, you know, like you said, by law, you could not hold your fiance's yeah. hand and walk down the, mm-hmm. the street and all of the various other issues, which we know are so, so, so horrible. And I think yeah. it becomes really, really difficult then to say, where do we draw the line? Like is, is it okay for people to be consuming the world cup? Is it, you know, should you be not following certain, certain teams? Should you, um, I don't know. I mean, I find it really, really difficult. Should you, you know, there's, there's organizations such as uh, the proud maroons, which is, um, the only LGBTQ plus national football supporters group, um, that cannot I think have fans of its own nation because yeah, I think I saw the is illegal. Yeah, yeah, so you got like uh, I think that's Dr. Naz Mohammed that set that up. Who, um, you know, has been linked to by like really high-profile football bloggers, and um, hopefully there, there's awareness there. But it's like you know, so do you go and say right, I'm going to watch the World Cup, but I'm going to donate to that, and then that makes you feel better. Like it's, I suppose everyone has to make their own decision, don't they? And that's that's of course part of it with all aspects of this argument, but um, where, where do you like feel the line kind of should be? I change by the minute because I understand, I understand those who are critical that are still taking part in the conversation, but I just don't believe that everyone is critical. And because I, not everyone has been or had the access to the kind of tools to pick that apart or they've, kind of consume stuff which is do you know what I mean anti these issues you kind of mean like not anti actually like pro pro homophobia pro kind of xenophobic and stuff so like uh, I, I don't know where I sit on it in terms of those I know that I again it's not a big big deal I won't be watching um, um, I wouldn't have watched anyway and but- say I was to go and say right I'm going off to watch a game now <laughs> how, how does that make you feel I know you well enough to know that you're critical of it and that's great but it's horrible but my gut response is I question your allyship um, and I think that is just because I question everyone's allyship so that's not like <laughs> yeah. a big deal do you know what I mean um, because and again, I I think I've been talking to to Nat, yeah, who you know and who pod- listeners of my podcast will know about this a lot. And we're talking about kind of uh, how do we challenge families about this, and that's the same with kind of Brexit and Black Lives Matter and kind of all these things that come up and cause fa- issues within the family, the Queen, um, and things like that. So like, I, it just makes me feel uncomfortable and. I wish more people were inspired to maybe educate themselves on it 
while consuming rather than kind of blankly consuming. But yes, I definitely um, feel really uncomfortable and I am actually planning to come off social media for the next month um, just because I'm thinking, well, actually, come off social media until England out. (laughs) (laughs) That's the alternative. Um, Well, actually, I'm sure there'll still be coverage, but I'm just thinking in terms of even like places I used to work. So I used to, I used to be a manager at Marks and Spencers and like going in there and seeing like so much stuff to do with England, like flags and stuff. And it just makes me feel uncomfortable. Um, but then I see, I, I know that I am that person. And if anyone has seen community, I'm definitely the Britta in the sense that I am like, like, what, how about this? Like, that's not fair. Or do you know what I mean? Have you thought about these people? Like, I get that. And I get that that's buzzkill and all that sort of things. And there's def- there's that meme of um, someone grabbing someone's lips and saying, like, let people enjoy things. And I, I get that. And I'm sure that people will enjoy it. But it just, I just want people who are going to consume the, the football to think, how are my gay peers, gay family members, queer family members going to respond to this? Because it's not nice having your existence debated in the media. And again, like the focus seems to be on kind of uh, gay men in guitar, but there are going to be plenty of people who are trans uh, and no, not necessarily um, fitting into kind of the image of what a gay man is. And I would be interested to see how they're treated in Qatar as well. So I don't know. We're still friends, Will, but... <laughs> <laughs> Harry has left the call. <laughs> in, yeah, no, I think that's a really good answer. And I think that awareness is massively important and it makes you know it definitely makes me think and i hope it would make you know, the whole reason i wanted to do this podcast was yeah to, to yeah just promote the discussion basically um yeah that's i'm really glad the discussion's happening yeah for sure um do do you think good can come from it um <laughs> well <laughs> I think it's a bigger, a bigger image because I think that football, and I hope, I think you would agree with me here, needs to change its image or there needs to be more challenging of things within kind of the systems. I don't know what happened last summer, but what was all the, when England lost the final, there was always racism, right? Um, yeah. So three, uh, England, uh, were in a penalty shootout against Italy, uh, five players took, penalties three black young men missed and instantly one of them a teenager um the other two very young like uh, just over 20 uh, all of them received just tirades of racial abuse yeah so i think it, like any community like anything uh there needs to be work done within kind of the football systems to challenge those voices and yeah, so I definitely think there is good to come from it. But again, I definitely am concerned about it adding to the negative rhetoric that is happening around queer voices. How about you? No, I was just thinking on your answer. <laughs> That's a really good answer. Um, so I am hopeful. I'm, I was really 
this time two weeks ago, I was really down on it. And mm-hmm. uh, I think for the best part of um, the entire 10 years that it was leading up to this World Cup since Qatar were awarded it, I kind of told myself that it wouldn't happen and it would be mm-hmm. moved last minute. Um, mm-hmm. And I think looking at Russia and looking back on that now, I that gave me kind of fresh hope that that again might happen because you know people don't want to be on the wrong side of history when FIFA's ownership changed because Blatter and um, lots of other people were were taken down by the FBI. Again, I thought it's got to change now, and it just didn't. And so I think I felt really down about two weeks ago because it was that element of oh yeah, it just doesn't change, and you know the world's got so much that kind of mirrors that and football quite often mirrors capitalist society in that way and the kind of down the pitfalls of it um and i think the political landscape surrounding it is really really negative but i've heard so much opposition to it from places that wouldn't normally have spoken up about it and even maybe two years ago uh, wouldn't have spoken out about it so I think that does give me hope and I think the World Cup has such a reach in the same way that I wish it wasn't in Qatar because of the reach and chance for good that it has I think the highlight of negative issues I think it like I kind of said at the top, I think it's going to backfire. And I do really, really hope that all of the issues that are, that are coming up, better standards and betterment does come from this World Cup and the attention that is being drawn to it. But unfortunately, I do kind of, 33, almost feels like I've, I'm long in the tooth enough now to... Yeah. Um, to feel like the world does ignore things and that things can be spoken about for a month and then things can just kind of go back. But I also feel like, I feel like I want to believe that FIFA couldn't get away with awarding Russia or Qatar a World Cup now. And I feel like voices of the people are stronger than ever. And actually the voice, most of the time, the voice of the people is pretty good. Maybe I'm being very glass full there, half full. <laughs> but yeah, that's how I kind of want to feel about it. Um, and I do I do want to stress as well that I do not judge anyone for their... It, it's, it's the higher corporations and politicians and um, CEOs, decision makers that are abusing privileges and just trying to make money and ignoring these social issues more so than most people on the street, I I want to believe. And so therefore, I think I don't judge anyone for however they want to consume something. No, but, I don't think I would judge. And I know you I th- don't. I know you don't. Um, I think judge is the wrong word. It would just make me consider the approach there because people are fickle. Do you know what I mean? One, one month, they'll put a poster of a black frame on Instagram and say Black Lives Matter and the next month they, do you know I mean, they won't care. Yeah, and oftentimes it's a case of not joining up the dots, isn't it? And just not yeah. realising the tie-ins there. And I think um, issues come in and out of people's mind because there's so much going on and, you know, this World Cup's going to lead right up to Christmas. So I think it will be quite quickly forgotten. Um, so, yeah, I, as much hope as I have, I think there's... Uh, uh, <laughs> 
a lot of uh, doubt that enters into that hope as well. Yeah, and do you know I mean we may be having a discussion in a month where it's like, oh look at this, like look look at the agenda it's raised, and do you know I mean I've heard rumor that some players are going to come out, and and do you know I mean all this other stuff. So maybe there will it will be the stage that it needs to be, but it does. T- yeah, I think I, I'm definitely an outsider to the thing, so I'm definitely a cynic. Um, and I always will be. Uh, yeah. And I'm very sorry for anyone who uh, is listening and who's like, who's this prick? <laughs> uh, who is like that? But like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's different when you are looking outside in and seeing how the, the thing is affecting your, your spaces more so than kind of, the existing football spaces and it's really important to remember as well like i think sometimes you can think about your own circles you roll in and think how much better things potentially are right now and then you kind of look at the football world and you think in the top four divisions in football there is one openly gay male footballer and i think what an incredible teenager first of all jay daniels is to do that but also that's you know that's mind-blowing statistic isn't it yeah and and also when you think about jake daniels like he's really good but he is also someone that fits into masculinity and kind of ticks that box so avoids kind of the negativity um of kind of not performing those masculine traits so like amazing that he's kind of stepped out of that box but there is still a lot of kind of toxic masculinity and stuff that affects that and that kind of uh, leads into kind of talking about more of masculine men who are masculine uh, presenting men coming out as gay but still kind of supporting patriarchal kind of uh, toxic masculinity overtones and actually supporting that system and upholding that system and therefore kind of making it a tough time for queer people that don't necessarily fit into these boxes um but yeah again it's amazing to see people come out i would never want anyone not to come out um when they're ready to but you've got to think about your privilege in that thing and that isn't like a negative it's just an awareness yeah that's a really uh Really nice place to end it on <laughs> because it's a lot of perspective. Um, Harry, I just want to say thanks again for joining us. And, Thank you. Um, Thank you, Will. Yeah, anything you want to leave us with? Um, just be gay. No. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, just to say that I'm, I am not a critical, uh, boring person <laughs> as much as I've come across like that. Um, I promise you, I like to have fun. <laughs> And yeah. with that in mind, <laughs> <laughs> thanks again, Harry. Enjoy Have the football. Enjoy Come on, England. <laughs> We're going to go and crush some beer cans on our foreheads. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so long, everyone. See you later. Yo, Joe here. 
This is the Infantino Monologues, the basement tapes. I'm the Eggman, I'm Spartacus, I'm the fly in your soup. I am giant, I am the resurrection, I am the forbidden fruit. I'm not afraid of an army of lions, I'm not afraid of the dark. I'm not scared of the big bad wolf, I'm not hunting the snark. I am Groot, I am death, I'm the arrow in Alfred's eye. I am Superman, I am Batman, I am Argyle till I die. I am the great pretender, pretending I'm doing well. I am the sound of one hand clapping, I am William Tell. I am dark matter, a laughing matter, I am the stone that turns you puce. I am the one and only, I am the almighty Bruce. I am the power, the kingdom and the glory, the life of the world to come. I am greed, envy, pride, lust and sloth. I am gluttony, I am wrath, I am scum. Thanks.